Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. And I'm hearing some um, feedback in the background. I have, I have on my headphones. Is it me? I'm, I hear a phone ring. I think that's <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I'm sorry. What a way to start the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, another edition, to another installment of Fade to Black. I am your host, Della Alamonte Morris. I am here with Anita Jope, a.k.a. Teach. I'm here with Mr. Alan Bragg, and we have a very special guest, Alan Martin. Alan Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Yeah. Yeah, so... So, with the start of this show, we're going to go ahead and start off with the opening statements. And we're going to start off with, start off with um, Alan Bragg. Telling me. <laughs> yeah. Telling me. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of feedback as well. Yeah. It's killing me. So, we're going to take Peach off real quick. Let's go ahead and take her off real quick um, while she fixed that. So, um, once again, special guest, we got um, Alan Martin. And we're going to jump in to opening statements. And Alan Bragg, you, sir, is going to take the lead. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Welcome, everyone. Um, today, we're going to talk about a uh, black on black crime versus reality. Uh, is black on black crime a thing or is it just something made up that the other side came up with to blast us, I guess, call us out for, excuse me, for, um, you know, for what they think the problem is in a black community? You know, we always hear 
white lives matter. We hear uh, all these other different things. Well, why don't you fix the black on black crime in your own community? But I would beg to, to differ, you know, uh, black on black crime percentages are just as high as white on white crime. You know, black on black crime is probably uh, 93% or something in that area. Uh, white on white crime is 84%, something in that area. Uh, you can look it up for yourself, but um, bottom line is I don't believe it's a thing because mainly people kill other people that live in their demographic area. So white people kill white people that live around each other. Black people kill black people that live around each other, etc. on down the line. And that's proven through statistics. So um, I, I, I truly believe that black on black crime, the, that's just a, a thing that they white people like to throw out to counteract to what we say when we say black lives matter. And, you know, we're fighting against police brutality and uh, unarmed men or women get black men and women getting killed by police. So, you know, that's just a, something, a talking point for them. Um, I'm not going to hold you all up. I'm going to let y'all get to Mr. Alan Martin, our special guest today. But uh, that's just my opening statement. You know, I, I just truly believe that uh, black on black crime is not a thing. You know, it's just a made up excuse for white people. All right. Thank you so very much. Thank you for that. And for our special guests, you have the floor. Thank you, brother. It's, it's a it's an honor to be here. Um, just to be invited, I, I appreciate it. Let, let's let's. Um, first of all, I'm Alan Martin. Um, and folks who wish to get to me, you can by uh, going on our website, amtsinc.us. AMTS is my company, Al Martin Training Services, Inc.us, uh, where you can pick up some of our information, books, CDs, those type of things. So, so let's, let's address this as we're talking about black on black crime. Black on black crime was a term that was actually created by the white media uh, for a reason. And let's talk facts. The fact is, is that each year in August, there's a, there's a publication that comes out called the UCR, the Uniform Crime Report. It's a, it's, a, it's a report that comes out from every police department across the country, and it's then reported to the FBI, and they create the UCR. The UCR describes 16 categories of, of crime. Across that, they talk about arrest rates. They talk about who commits what, what percentages are white, black, Asian, Native American, they, they talk about every ethnic group and what percentage that the crimes are. Across all 16 categories of crime, white folks commit 75% of all crimes, all crimes, whether that's murder, rape, uh, robbery, burglary, uh, all of the, across all 16 categories, it's a, it's a fact. It's not something that we just come up with. Black on Black Crime was a, was a headline that, that came out and and it was a headline that was used by the white media, which is unfortunate because they're the ones who, to, who drive the narrative. Fortunately, we have very few black outlets, or we'd be talking about white on everybody else crime. So, so when we address that, let's, let's look at that in, in the perspective. Uh, as the brother said, it's, it's, it's true. The, the folks commit crimes in the, in the communities that they are. Black folks in this country are, are the most segregated outside of Native Americans only because Native Americans are on reservations. But we're the most segregated group in the, in the country. 
So you do what you have access to. So if you're going to rob somebody, you rob somebody in your, in your neighborhood. Black folks are in the same neighborhood. That's why it happened. But if you look at, at the crime statistics across the board, again, that are reported uh, by the UCR, to the UCR from every single, whether it's urban, whether it's rural, or whether it's suburban communities are reported to the UCR. And that states that 75, and to be exact, 78.3% of all crimes are committed by white folks. Thank you so much, Sean. That's a good um, opening statement. Now I got to go back and redo what I'm about to say. Thank you so very, very much. Now I got to, ah, dang. But yeah, thank you for that, uh, Mr. Martin. Now, now it's on to uh, teach. Everything's straight. Everything's great. You got the floor. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you for having me uh, once again. Um, I really uh, appreciate this format. So speaking to black on black crime, I wanna call um, Mr. Martin's attention um, back to the Detroit, Detroit Public Schools back in the 80s. Um, and I can't remember the principal's name, but anyway, he was the principal of Malcolm X Academy, and he popularized that term in the city of Detroit in his fight to push for all boys school. Um, and when um, he, that was the first time I heard it, it became popular to me. Um, and I did not like that term. I did not like black people using that term because it suggests, for me, it's a psychological attack on black people to make them feel less than or to make them feel that they're more criminal than any other demographic. But I wanna call your attention to another professor. Um, his name is David Wilson. Wilson, he's a geography professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Campaign. And again, he talks about the term being coined back in the 1980s. And he explains in his book that was written in 2005, Inventing Black-on-Black -black Violence. And this book is specifically talking about the issue um, in Chicago. Um, and in his report, he wrote that the problem was born from black youth. And that lends itself, if we wanna go all the way back to the 60s, to the Daniel Monahan report that was produced in 1965, one year after the Civil Rights um, Act of 1964, where Daniel Monahan blames the single black female for raising young black men to participate what we now call black on black crime. And I think it's a great misnomer and it is used as a tactic whenever you're dealing with a racial issue between black and whites or black and any other race, they wanna refer back to black on black crime as a distraction from the focal point. And for me, the major, um, the major difference between police brutality and black on black crime is that uh, statistically, when it's a black on black crime situation, 
the person perpetrating the crime is identified, clearly identified, arrested, booked, and sent off to jail. So the injustice lies in when the police abuse their position and power and take a life and then there is no justice. And there you go, Teach. Oh, thank you so much for that. Now it's my turn. You know what? As a, as a host, I, I, I listen, you know, I follow up with everybody. And then when everybody comes up with great statements, I got to, I got to step my game up just a little bit. So mine's going to go off the uh, topic of today. Mine is going to go on to the Black celebrities. That has been a topic of discussion this whole week. People are saying, well, we need black celebrities out there. And then you got people, well, the black celebrities making it all about them. So here is my take on that. For everybody who's saying that black celebrities needs to be out there, needs to know when, excuse my language, you know what, this is my show, I can say whatever I want. When your nigger moment happens, that you should be out here, but then the same breath, you saying that, oh, now y'all out here, y'all making it about yourselves, be quiet. I'm, talk I'm talking to you. Yes, I am talking to you. The ones that sit there who criticize the black celebrity for, you know, you're not out here supporting us because you're making millions of dollars. Then when they finally are out here, you criticize them again. So let me school you on something. You got people like Dave Chappelle, Jay Fox. You got celebrities already on it before this protest even started. When this first was happening, you had some black, some black celebrities that was out there preaching the word, sitting there saying there needs to be police reform. We need politicians that need to be doing something. So you cannot generalize all black celebrities and sit there saying, well, they don't step up. They, they need to step up. And then when they step up, oh, don't, they make it about them and all that stuff. Only thing I can say is this. Just mind your P's and Q's of what you're doing to help push the Black Lives Matter movement and to make your neighborhood and most of all, your family of your, definitely your sons, your kids, and also for yourself better. So do what you do to help improve the movement and as well as for not only just for yourself, but also for your community. Now, come here, black celebrities. I'm not done with you. Come on, get back here. So for all y'all black celebrities out there, even though there's a double-edged sword, what they were saying, there's a double-edged sword for you too. Because this is a lot of you. That is sitting in your nice homes in Calabasas. I remember that. What's that? I forgot that one rapper who literally said when Ferguson was happening that he don't care because he's out in Calabasas living his best life. And it doesn't personally affect him. But then when he's in another country and he had the same exact thing happen to him. A.K.A. his nigger wake up call. Now, all of a sudden, it's injustice. 
Now it's all of a sudden, we got to stick together. Now, for all the black celebrities that's actually doing something, I'm not even going to uh, come at y'all like that. But I will say this for those that's sitting down and being quiet and hushing up. When that moment happens, when it happens to you, you can never say nobody warned you. Because you could be a billionaire, maybe even a trillionaire. Look what happened to Robert Allen. Robert Allen owns the Weather Channel and countless other channels. And he's going through it with Comcast. And I, and I just found out that they just settled. But right there should prove to you. You can win as six Super Bowls. You probably won probably 10 NBA Finals. You probably won three NASCAR championships. Who cares? They will always make you, remind you on who you are. So speak up, do something. Because at the end of the day, you do the wrong thing in their eyes. They will make you know who they are. Yes, Byron L. I messed up on that one. I messed up on that one. But let me bring everybody back in. That was my uh that was my piece. Let me go ahead and switch up Cheech. That's All not right. me. <laughs> oh, I was not, yeah, no, I switched it. I switched it. Oh, okay. All right, I'm gonna go on back to um see what Casey, what she was saying, it depends on the celebrity. There are some that haven't always advocated for us. Yes. And that's, and that's basically my point. That's uh, basically my point. But still, their silence speaks volumes. So any last alibis before we get into the main story? Uh, just a quick alibi. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I just had a couple of few that I just wanted to main, uh, names. D.L. Hughley has been huge he's been huge in speaking out for the black community you know and calling out injustices so uh and you mentioned dave Chappelle, but killer mike and ti has also been on the scene as far as celebrities has been yes. out there on the sting advocating as well even you know well before you know some of the most recent things so just wanted to point that out that we've had some uh people speaking out on our behalf as far as celebrities okay <laughs> If you don't mind me, if you don't mind me jumping in, yeah, go um, ahead. We could we could spend a whole lot of time talking about who's not doing what. Um, the truth of the matter is that we don't know who's doing what. There are many people, many different ways that that folks uh, assist the the movement, and and many of those don't have to be out front uh, doing it. We need money to 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 push forward the movement, and many other celebrities who you may not see uh, their faces in, in front. Um, our our assistant in many different ways. I don't, I don't want us to fall into the trap of, of, of what the white media wants us to do. Uh, right. fact of the matter is that there are a lot of there are a lot of folks who are doing a lot of different things in a lot of different ways and this is not a single way of addressing any of them. We all have a part to play and we all play our parts in, in different kinds of ways. Give you an example. 
Uh, I'm used to leading marches. I'm a social scientist by education. I am an international management consultant by profession. As you obviously know, I also write, uh, write books, but I was most known in the 90s in the city of Detroit as the gang patron. In other words, I was the brother who, who when young folks were asked to murder somebody, uh, it was me who they were paging, the young folks who didn't want to do it. And it was me running out there and, and standing in between. Well, now we've got other folks who are out who are marching. Doesn't mean because I'm not leading the march um, that I'm not participating. There, there are many, many different folks who are doing things in, in their own different way. So one of the things that I try to shy from are the, the trap that we fall into talking about what Black folks don't do. Let's talk about what Black folks do do. And that's the, and that's the key. You know, we can talk about the sister brought up uh, the brother from the Malcolm X Academy and the, coining the term black on black crime that it, 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 you know, all due respect that he didn't coin the term. Uh, the white media coined, coined that term. Uh, as a matter of fact, the term was actually coined back in 1967 um, and it was coined during the time of the, of the uprising. And the interesting thing about, about that piece, again, if you look at the amount of crimes factually the amount of crimes that are committed, 75% plus of all crimes against all 16 categories of crime are committed by white folks. They just don't call it white on white crime because most of it is white folks doing white folks. But that's just how it goes. Now, when we, be, when we get to a point, now I wanna share a real quick story uh, with you. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went over to the Holocaust Museum that's here in Farmington Hills, Michigan. And I happened to be walking past and I, and I happened to see a charter school with, with several African-American students that were going in on, on a tour. So I decided I'd go in at that time. Went in, phenomenal museum, uh, and it happened to be a survivor that was that was in there. So I, I'm at the end of the, the at the end of the, the piece, there is a, a QA session uh, that takes place, but they happen to have it uh, at a place where uh, where they're showing um, the places where Hitler had taken people where he had, had killed them. So I brought up a little known fact to them that, that Hitler had actually killed more, more Africans than Jews. Now, it was interesting because the, the, there was a social studies teacher with the charter school who jumped up and said, we don't teach our children lies. Uh, I don't know who you are. And don't say that. And it was interesting because the survivor, the Jewish survivor, jumped in and said, and the curator jumped in and said, he's absolutely right. Matter of fact, when they were going into the, the, the concentration camps, they saw Africans being lined up and they said, that we're not I them. They didn't realize that they were being exterminated. And at that point, um, the curator said something I thought was so powerful. The curator said, uh, I, I asked the curator, well, why don't you all tell that story? And this is what he said. He said, we're here to tell our story. The information you have is factual. He said, but it's on you to tell your story. So that puts us in a position there where we need to start controlling our own media. You mentioned Byron Allen, he's trying to do a good job on, on, on his end. Uh, Oprah has sold her network, she, she owns a percentage of it now, but she, she sold out. BET is no longer black owned. Uh, Aspire, is, they, they put uh, Maggie Johnson up there, but he's only a, a figurehead, he's not the owner. And so it's important that we go back to owning, uh, to, to owning our own outlets our own media, our own newspapers, our own radio stations, our own television stations, and broadcasts like these, so we can get out our story, so that people understand from our perspective what's going on, and then that, and and let's stop dogging out who we think is not doing stuff. We talked about Michael Jackson; he was doing more than almost anybody, but folks didn't know what he was doing. 
And so it's important that we take the time out to do what we're supposed to do and not worry about who, who's not doing things. Let's, let's hype on the positive and then we won't have to worry so much about that. Thank you, Martin. And he's here, Mr. Beast Johnson. Beast Johnson. Uh, you good. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to um, Alan Martin. Uh, How you Martin, doing, Mr. Martin? Doing, so um, since, you, since you finally showed up, it's your uh, time for the opening statements. Oh, um, um, I don't have my cards with me. Um, Here's my opening statement real quick Um, to get out the way. I just want to continue along the path of uh, what Mr. Martin was saying and what Mr. Briggs stated earlier about controlling the narrative. You know, the old adage that history is told by the winners, not the losers. It's painted in a perception to dictate who would be a winner and who would be a loser. But who, who's to say that the loser can't control the narrative and paint themselves as a winner? We've seen it happen countless times throughout history. And we need to, I guess the words I'm looking for, we need to look at that as an observation on how they see us and use that old adage of fighting fire with fire. You know, If they want to control the narrative, we have to start controlling the narrative and using their wordplay and their tactics to ensure that we can control the narrative. And um, I feel like once we get that established, we can move forward in unison because everyone's on the same page. Everyone knows what we're trying to do. Everyone's agreeing to do the same thing. We're not trying to dictate or divide the narrative. What about this person over here? What about this instance over here? All these multiple separate instances and occasions of police brutality that we're going through and we've been going through, they're all connected. So when we speak on George Floyd, we're just as well speaking on Tamir Rice, uh, Breonna Taylor, Eric Gardner, Trayvon. It, it's redundant. There's multiple names that run through my head, and I could probably shout them off about another five minutes. And that's the tragedy of it. But all these names are connected. When you say one, we say all their deaths and their injustice is just as important as the current death and injustice that's going on. That's why we're so passionate about it. That's where the real passion is coming from. We know that this has happened countless times. And the reason why we're so fired up right now is because we need to see it stop. And everyone in the world is starting to see that. So we need to continue to control the narrative but take that passion about singular situations and add it to the collective so that we can truly control the narrative and truly get that impact and change that we're looking for. That'll be my little opening statement for right now. Okay. All right. So that is it for the opening statements. Now let's get to our main story. All right, now, ladies and gentlemen, 
what everybody's been waiting for is this one. And y'all are already with your opening statements. Y'all already did a deep dive into it. So I'm going to start off with the comment, then lead to a question. So this whole week, I've been looking at a lot of YouTube videos, mainly on the conservative side, black conservatives, as they've been talking about, you know, we can't have, you know, white people have them be to blame these white cops. What about, you know, the black cops? What about, you know, our backyard, our, our backyard? We, we haven't fixed that yet. Why are we going to sit there going to put this burden on police officers? Why are we putting the burden on them when we killing ourselves every day? So my question is to all of you. If we had a black conservative on this show right now that was spewing that type of rhetoric, rhetoric, what would you say to that brother or sister? Uh, we'll, we'll let Mr. Martin go I, first. Yeah. <laughs> Me and him laughing, so it's like one of us going to say something. <laughs> yeah. You, you, listen, let me, let me, okay, let, let's, let's be clear on a couple of things. Um, First of all, black folks have been conservative from day one. All of us, conservative. In other words, in our race, it's inherent that that uh, we believe that you didn't work, you didn't eat. Um, we believe that we pulled our own weight. Matter of fact, we believe so much in working that the white folks out there had us working for them because they couldn't work and they wouldn't work, and so we did all the work. So I had to laugh when you said black conservative. I, maybe I'll change that that term instead of black conservatives to black fools, because when you start talking about when you when you have ind individuals who say silly things like, like, well, you know, let's concentrate on what we're doing to each other, it's all interfaced. When you have a folks, a people who are oppressed, those same people are viewing each each other, one another, um, the way that we're looking in the mirror. In other words, if we've been taught to 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 hate ourselves then of course we're gonna hate those who, who look like us. What you're experiencing now, what we're experiencing now is a, is a revolution where people are looking in the mirror and they like what they're seeing in the mirror and they're saying, hey, look, we're not gonna attack one another anymore. We're gonna fight for one another. Um, I, I got a chance to, it, it was interesting. I didn't know that Trayvon Martin was my cousin. I had never met him. Wow. Uh, it happened that I was, it, it happened that I was that I was uh, with an organization where we were uh, providing some dollars and and and, and assisting his mother. Uh, when I found out that the cousin that I do know um, shared with me that his wife was actually on the phone with Trayvon when the accident situation happened, um, and unfortunately, the police wouldn't even allow her to testify, and they gave a different story as to as to what actually took place. And so I I ended up pulling him on. Uh, and his wife on to talk to many of the kids, uh, youth here in Detroit and in Chicago, to actually tell the truth about what, what happened. Um, all of us have been ex have experienced uh, police brutality. And the interesting thing is that it, it's it, the police department itself, since it was organized, the, the ordination of the police department itself was to oppress Blacks. So the system that even when Black folks come into that system, they're taught to oppress the exact same way that their oppressors are teaching them. So 
everything that we're that we're doing to each other are simply things that have been done to us. It always bothers me when I hear idiots say things about why are you burning down your own area. I, I point them to Rosewood. I point them to 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 Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I point them to all of the destruction that they've done. I point to the fact that they came to this country with somebody else who's already here, um, destroyed the people who were here, and we're talking about the same criminals that were kicked out their own country. So what we need to do, and the brother said it said it right, we change the narrative by by simply we can use their terms. Put them in the picture. Show the true light on what's really going on. And if we can put the narrative in such a way where we're highlighting the truth, we're not going to trump it. In other words, that punk that's in the presidency who, who lies all the time. Let's tell the truth and let's point out the fact that the majority of crimes are committed by white folks. I think all black folks, when you get into an elevator and white folks tomorrow, you need to collect your purses. Um, black folks need to, to walk across the street when you see white folks coming they're committing more murders than we are, committing more rapes, committing more, more burglaries, more robberies, more everything. And I think we need to get away from this, this pointing the finger at each other and simply just laugh off the idiots who say something stupid. I, we got a, a well-known pastor here in Detroit who, who is a Republican who spills every single thing. If you hear Donald Trump say something stupid, this idiot will say something stupid also. And my thing is for stupidity, we don't have time for stupidity. Let's talk common sense. Let's not drink the Kool-Aid. Let's support one, one another. And let's move forward. Hmm. Anything I add, Alan? I mean, uh, Bragg, I'm sorry. You got the first name. <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with what he said. You know, there's a lot of fools out there. We, 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 we've talked about them several times on here. You know, the Candace Owens, the, uh, the Brandon Tatums. <laughs> Uh, the countless idiots that's on uh, in the president's office uh, agreeing with everything he says, you know, it's just ridiculous. They they go hard for the uh, for the white man, but they won't point out anything bad as far as what's going on in the white neighborhood. So uh, we said we have to control the narrative. How do we do that? Um, flip it, flip it back on them when, when they start talking about white on white crime or black on black crime. Let's talk about white on white crime. Like I said, you know, we know the numbers. We, we see the numbers, but the media portrays us as the bad people. You know, they see how we look. Uh, they want to portray us, you know, with the dreads. Like my man, Beast Johnson, you know, they would automatically think he a thug or something just because he has dreads. And I'm sure he sees it all the time and hears it all the time. But, the you know, I can tell you. That, that's who we are. You know, you, you can't be afraid of us by looks don't judge a book by its cover get to know us have a conversation i've invited several people on on social media to have conversations one-on-one uh but they 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 wouldn't do it you know people saying uh or oh, why why do black on black uh, lives matter and all that kind of stuff you know like well let's have a conversation about that and i'll tell you i'll educate you you know for uh mr martin you know he said he's in farmington hills michigan i grew up in flint michigan you know born and raised just you know so i i know all about you know detroit and flint and everything and it's down here in clarksville tennessee it's whoo it's a vast uh, big wide difference you know so you know go, going from uh predominantly black school neighborhood coming down here where it's like i'm the only black family in my whole subdivision uh so uh so i see you know i see the the the, the racism and everything daily 
Um, but we have to change that narrative. You know, I, I'm not afraid to have the conversations with them. Uh, like I said before, we have to have those uncomfortable conversations. Um, and, and there's a lot of just ignorant people out there. Uh, they, you know, white folks want to quickly say down here, you know, oh, you just don't know about the Confederacy, you know, this and that. You know, they, they want to point out that, the, you know, slaves was, you know, it, the Civil War wasn't about slaves and things like that. You know, they want to throw out their little false facts. And, you know, I had to break it down to them. So, you know, we just have to keep that narrative going and have those conversations because it's a lot of ignorant people out there and they're not going to understand, you know, until we keep keep pushing it. Just keep pushing the narrative. Beast Johnson, what you got? Um, like the degree above the gentleman, um, when, when the people say, well, how do you control the narrative? Well, first off, you learn the vernacular. Like as a musician, as an entrepreneur in the music industry, you see a lot of side, sideway talks and slick wordplay. They'll smile in your face and tell you straight to your face they're going to dick you over. But the way in which they word it and the tone and context and inflection of their voice, you won't know and realize to after you signed your name away that you just let them bend you over a barrel, so to speak. Mm. So to control that narrative, you have to know the words. Like they, they got the term legalese. It's certain terms, it's certain um, usage of words that industry people will put together that sounds real good. They're like, hey, we're going to sign you to a 360 deal. And it's like, oh, word, yeah, yeah. All the 360 deal means is hey, we all getting paid on this show today. The host gets paid, then he pays everybody else before you get paid. You went out there and made that money. You went out there and did your job. But before you get the money you are earned and deserving of, 50 other people get paid before you could get your check. That's a 360 deal. No, that's the wordplay that they use. So we got to use that. We got to understand with these words and the way they use these words, what they're really trying to say. And once we learn what they're trying to say, we use it against them our own ways. Because, see, they won't realize that we know these type of things. It, it, it's the same way as, as you had the slaves that secretly learned how to read and then went forth and found various ways to educate the other slaves on the plantation without letting anybody else know. Mm. But they learn what they need to learn first from the white man and then use that knowledge of the white man to screw over the white man. We have to keep continue that fact. We have to continue that. And to go back to that conservative black statement, you know, well, we need to clean up our own yards. And I pose this question to that conservative if they were here. Um, I, I know the host, Mr. Amante, served. Um, I don't know if anybody else on here has served. I come from a military family. My grandfather served in World War II. I have a uh, cousin that served in the Gulf War, uncles that were uh, stationed over in Germany. I ask you, would you tell these men, would you tell these individuals that their sacrifice, that that energy that they put out there on behalf of you and the nation that you claim to love 
are you going to tell these men they had no business over there in Syria? They had no business over there overseas or wherever they happened to be stationed because we, as an American, they should have been at home worrying about their home problems. They should have been cleaning up their own backyard, so to speak. So if you're going to use that same rhetoric towards blacks, take that same energy and put it toward the armed services. Would you do that? Would you now take that same narrative and put it toward the fire department? How about the medical staff? How about the actual police? Would you take that same ignorant rhetoric and apply it across the board? If you cannot apply it across the board, it has no sound logic, has no sound ration, it's pure ignorance, and you don't need and it doesn't need to be discussed. And once you break it down to people like that, and they have no other point after that. Oh, what 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 well what? Well what? They go out there and do the same thing and give the same energy. So if you're gonna tell black people that we need to worry about ourselves, then you, that's, that's the, the extent of telling officers they don't need to go out here and put their life on the line. That's telling the army they don't need to go out here and sacrifice their lives to ensure outside threats do not reach us. Mm. That's telling nurses and doctors they don't have to put their life on the line to ensure that you live and breathe for another day. Gotcha. Thanks so much, Johnson. Teach what you got. Okay. Wealth does not equal morality. Mm. Poverty does not equal criminality. I'm going to repeat that. Wealth does not create morality. Neither does poverty create criminality. Let that sink in. The reason why I want this to sink in is because people like Daniel Monahan produced the Monahan report as well as the current report that followed his report. These were the first reports that were produced by quote unquote, our government and social scientists to look into the behavior of African-Americans. And these reports single-handedly brainwashed the nation to make everyone black, white, Asian to believe that if you're white, you are wealthy, and you are moral, you do no wrong. As well as if you are black and you're poor, therefore you must be a criminal. So these reports permeated the mindset of our nation. And with this filter, we go out and engage in business every day. Currently in the African-American community, we have businesses, but if you know a black business owner, their number one complaint is when black customers come, they want the hookup, they want the price lowered, they think your, um, your um, product is inferior. 
But that same customer would go to a white establishment. You both got the same product from the same distributor. They have a higher price tag on their product, and all of them came from China. You were asking $100 for your product. They're asking $1,500 for their product. They want to ask you for the, you know, the cousin, friend, neighbor hookup off of your $100. But they'll go to the white establishment for the same product that was made by the same Chinese man in China. And they'll pay him the $1,500, no questions asked. So that mentality is permeated throughout all of our psyches. And you have to be conscious to purge that out of yourself one person by one person. There was a period of time where you heard buy black and give back. And on my webpage, I tend to show the things that you can purchase besides shea butter, onks, and incense that Africans or African-Americans design, produce, and manufacture. There's a line of automobiles made by black engineers in countries like Nigeria, Ghana, Ethiopia. There's a line of computer products made in Haiti by the Haitian people, designed by them, produced by them. Do we know the names of them? Nope. Do we buy them? Do we support them? Nope. But we are producing what people need. But we have been conditioned that white is superior. So we want to get that apple. We want a, 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 a MacBook. We want HP. We don't want Dudunwa. Because what Dudunwa sounds what? It sounds strange and it doesn't sound European. So I'm not even going to consider getting a laptop or a tablet made in Haiti or made in Nigeria or Ethiopia. Cell phones as well. Most of you never heard of them, but they're there. And the thing is, in these countries, their own people don't want to buy them because they have also been conditioned that white is superior. So we have to come to a place in our minds to understand that white is not superior, but they are competitors. And we are viable competitors. And in order for us to really be viable, we have to show support for one another. Now that's not to say that you can't have your taste and you know you have the money and you buy your preference. But seriously, how many times have you gone to a black business and they had the same exact product, but 
you decided to buy from the from the Caucasian. So our mindset, we don't believe one another. We don't trust one another. We don't invest in one another. I seen a court case on the TV the other day. Um, they were getting, it was divorce court. They were getting a divorce because the mother had a three-year-old child and she was buying $700 gym shoes for a three-year-old child. That makes no sense. I don't care how much money you have. I don't have, care if you are a gazillionaire. Wow. $700 shoes. That's crazy. For a child. Yes, because you're buying into labels. You're buying into what you have been told is prestigious. See, we're, we're told, we're programmed, what is prestige? Oh, you got your child's $700 gym shoes, but you don't even have a house. You got an apartment and the rent is two months past due. You're on the eviction list. But you are proud because you were able to make someone else wealthy. That seven hundred dollars could have right. So, so the programming has to come, and it comes from this. They have said that white is supreme, and whether you believe it or not, you buy into it very subtly. Okay, you buy into white supremacy, but you have to put stoppers on your mind and say no. And then I want to go to um, the idea of convict leasing. What convict leasing was, the program that was started um, after slavery, actually it was the first um, part-time or temporary work or day work program, right? And what they did in con convict, convict leasing is that if any African-American was found not to be currently in an apprenticeship, going to school or working, or if they had a child at home and a white person said that the black people could not take care of that child, then they can take that child from that black family and put them to work. So it was a ring where it involved the sheriff, the judge, and a private owner. So say, Alan Martin, you just graduated from high school. You got papers to start college in the fall. So technically, you're unemployed. You're not in school. You are what they call vagrant. And because you're vagrant, a white business owner can say, hey, Alan is vagrant. He'll go to court. They'll charge you with vagrancy, and they will convict you. That conviction most time was a life sentence. While you're serving in prison, then here comes the business owner. The business owner will actually pay the state government XYZ dollars for your labor on their farm. This was a way to get black workers back on the farm that used to be slaves. Okay? So any form of existence was criminal. And this is deeply embedded in our society. I seen a video just the other day, a man was sitting on his porch and a white police officer came by and said, well, do you have a job? 
And he said, I'm sitting on my porch. He didn't ask him what he was doing. He just opened up, do you have a job? So that seed of getting convicts or people that appears to be vagrant to be convicts to put them to work. And the very first state that participated in this type of work grossed $18,000. And back then, that was a lot of money. And once other states saw that they could make money by putting black men in jail and giving them a life sentence, that is what they did. That became the first temporary agency employing black men that have been convicted of a crime. So these seeds of criminality is a direct result of the South losing the war and the slaves becoming emancipated. Wow. So we have a lot of work to do. But one by one, we have to recognize what the enemy is. The enemy is white supremacy. And whether we agree with it or not, we fall into it. We are sucker for it in a lot of different categories. And we have to be conscious to not continually make the decision, giving away $700 for a pair of gym shoes made in China, that is how we feed into white being supreme. Um, you, you, I can say this. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Martin. I just want to. She she said a lot, um, and and I, I just want to jump on. I, I've 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 known the sister more than half my life, um, and 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 I agree with with ninety nine percent of yeah yeah. I mean, I, yeah, three quarters of my life I've, I've known. Um, but let me just say this. Um, much of what we say, we, we have to watch how we say it. Um, I am a social scientist, so so let me let, let me put a little spin on, on what was just said, um, especially about the part about about um, what we do and and how we choose to do those things. Um, there's a piece that we talk about called behavior modification. And we recognize that there's only one theory that has actually worked in behavior modification. It's called the domain theory. Now, a lot of things that I say, um, uh, they, they might sound contradicting uh, to, to things that are said. It's, it's not that. It's just that I choose to, to harp on, on the positive versus bringing out the negative because what we don't realize we do is perpetuate the negative by giving it credence. So, so I try to give solutions versus just talk about talk about the problem. We 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 know that there have been historically black folks who didn't support black businesses, um, but the more we talk about that, the more it gets systemic because we we, we press that stuff on. Well, in behavior modification, is a, a theory called the domain theory. It simply says that in each one of our lives, we have five domains: the individual, the family, the school and/or workplace the community, and our peer group. And if we really want to change behavior, we need to address at least three of those five domains. Now, the reason I bring that up is there are two terms that, that are often used 
Now, what the sister was talking about when you got the, the, the mother who paid $700 for some gym shoes, she's operating off of what we call self-esteem. Now, back in the 80s, the federal government decided to give some money out. As a matter of fact, in the Clinton administration, they did it as well. And they come up with these buzzwords that we then get funding for. Self-esteem was one of them. And it's important to understand why that jacks us up to Self-esteem is that which originates on the outside of you that you internalize and see yourself based on how the world perceives you. And since 94% of Americans, not just black folk, of Americans operate off of self-esteem, we do stuff like buy $700 gym shoes because we want people to look at us based on what we have on instead of what we have in our head. The second term, which I think is more important for us, is the term self-worth. Self-worth is that which originates on the inside of us that we allow to flow outside of us and we see ourselves based on what we know we bring to the table, understanding who we are and whose we are. Now, the reason that's so important is if we teach self-worth, then there'll be a lot fewer folks out there who will be trying to buy $700 gym shoes when they recognize that they don't have to, when they recognize that they don't have to look exter externally for work, but can look internally for it and in that way, we start doing things that are a little bit more positive. So in that domain theory, when we say we, 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 we need to affect three of those five domains, if we as a people, or when we as a people, start putting ourselves around other folks who, who think like us, that's our peer group, um, who are promoting the positivity instead of the negative, when we teach our, our families to support uh, one another and to teach our young folks through affirmations, of how powerful we are as individuals, not looking for somebody else to, to give us kudos, but we can look in the mirror and give our own self-doubt. When we go into the schools and or the churches and start reinforcing the fact that, that we are a powerful people, that we are the originators of astrology and mathematics and, 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 and language, and we start, internal us um, needs not the outside affirmation in order to recognize our worth. Those are three of the five domains right there that we can have total behavior modification. So there was another piece that I wanted to throw in there too. And I'm gonna try to monopolize the conversation. It's just that I, 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 I just wanna make sure I get these points out. There, there was a, an, an old, old story uh, about this person who was trying to train the dog. They're trying to get the dog to use the bathroom. I'm going to come out the window. So I think about after a while, the owner jumps out the window because that's what they were teaching that dog. But if you took the same dog, that same hound, and waited until they went outside and used the bathroom, and then we love on that dog when they used the bathroom outside, that dog would then run outside to, to use the bathroom. In other words, if we start giving positive bathroom, information for things that are positive instead of giving attention to the junk that's negative folks start doing more positive things because that's the only way they're going to get affirmation within our race that's positive and the more that we do that the more folks who want attention if the only attention they get is by doing something positive folks have a tendency of doing more positive if that's the only 
the attention that they get. So I say let's let's highlight this being done. There are more of us who support black businesses than those who don't. Just the ones who don't are the ones that talk the most noise. So let's okay. praise the ones who do. It's, it's more of us who, who, who walk the right path at those. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, uh, Martin. Also, when, when you were talking, you, your, um, your thing was going in Sit back and chill. Because I know I just said a lot. No, no, you're good. You're good. Um, your uh, your your uh, connection. Connection, yeah, connection was going in and out too as well. Just to let you know, you were talking some real truth. Usually, when when people start taking, speaking the truth, mysterious things start to happen. So I just want to put that out there. Uh, but um, but to sum up all of what I heard from y'all, I went. Me going into a black business, I, I still remember to this day. Before I left, because right now I'm over here in um, Washington, Washington State. My last days in Kentucky, there was this black business restaurant that I found out that a service okay. member owned. I can't, I can't oh. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Martin? Can you hear me, Martin? I think he has a bad connection. Yeah, I think so too. Um, oh, yeah. Things lagging right now. I believe it. I believe your your, your connection is is uh, is, is a little off. Yeah, he's, while he's fixing that, let me let me throw something out while he's fixing that. Um, mm. You know, we've got this whole piece on Black Lives Matter right now, and I, I just want to throw this out. It's so important. Um, that we get a coordinated plan of action, uh, um, that we actually have what our demands are, and that we that we take a look at the totality of the uh, the the things that we need. Just police being trained, uh, when we know that that's just systemic in a in a nation where there's so many other things that need to be done. So we need to coordinate our efforts. So that we have, so we clearly can articulate what it is that we that we expect uh, from this this insidious government uh, and society that that we live in. There was oh. a you know if they gave us our forty acres, and I yeah. said we need to ask for more than the forty acres because with the forty acres it's still going to take the finances to build the home, uh, create the crops and things like that. So we asked for the forty. Acres, we also need to demand the finances to make those 48 acres into whatever it is that that would bring us the equality that we need in order to 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 crop those 40 acres, or to create our homes on the 40 acres, or to create our schools on those 40 acres. Okay, thanks so much, Mark. Sexism that addresses the systemic uh, uh, piece that that puts us back economically. Um, can y'all hear me? By the way, can anybody hear me? Can yep. y'all hear me? Yeah. Okay. Can hear you fine. Can you, yeah. can you hear me, Martin? I'm sorry. Can you hear me? I'm just doing a sound check. <laughs> Much better than before. All right. Cool. All right. So let me go ahead and jump into my story, and I'll make it quick because I want to get to the other part of this uh, topic. So 
when I went to that into that black restaurant, I mean, I just felt something. It goes back to what Teach was saying about, you know, it, it, it's just the energy. When I went up in there and I sat down, I literally asked her, I said, because like how she was sound, because she introduced herself, she's like, hi, welcome. And, you know, you can get this, get this, get this. I was like, you know, I, I try your pool boy. Try the pool boy, the best pool boy I had thus far. And I just told, I'd like to say, I'm not trying to sound rude or anything like that, but uh, is do you run this establishment? She was like, yeah, we recently just started, we started months ago. And I was like, I literally gave her a hug. And she was like, why you give me a hug? I said, you're the very first black business that I've ever, my, my whole time like that, ever sat down and ate at. And she said, I'd never gotten that ever before. So ever since then, and then also thanks to Teach with our sit, sit downs, I try to look for black business. I also, I came out here and I, um, I ate at another black establishment too as well. Supported it, everything. I mean, when you first go up in there, you see Dr. King pictures, Malcolm X, every black athlete to Jesse Owens, to my all-time greatest boxer that I love, Jack Johnson. Pictures, and then not to mention they were. I think she was a Delta, and I, I think he was. Uh, I think he was an Alpha. Me just going to a black establishment, it just hits right here for me. I don't know about for y'all, but also only hookup that you should be giving the black business is a. I'm going to give to my aunt, my uncles, my brothers, my sisters, my friends to come to this place. That's the hookup that you should be giving them. It shouldn't be a hookup of like, hey man, you think you give me, you know, take five dollars off? Look, if Brad goes out and he starts a freaking, let's say, uh, a clothing clothing line. I'm not going to sit there going to ask for, you know, I'm not even, even going to ask the military discount, even if he does give out the military discount. I'm going to be like, if Bragg says, hey, these pants cost $75. He's going to get $75 for his pants. I shouldn't pay him no less than that. If I pay him more, it's for me just to give him appreciation to like, hey man, I'm happy that you started this business. Hopefully this will go far for you. Thank you. Or if Teach has a book, an autobiography on her life, I'm not going to sit there if she charged $32.95 for it. She's going to get $32.95. We need to stop asking for the hook. Thank you. <laughs> and, and Martin, and Martin he, I, I saw that he's he's off. Hopefully he comes back on. But Martin made a lot of points and Teach made a lot of points. All y'all made a lot of points. But I want to sum it up in to this term too. It's the it's the house Negro and the field Negro. I, I think I mentioned this about a couple of shows ago where when the slave master, when he slick sick, the house Negro, he's saying, I'm sick too. The field Negro is like, man, I can give a damn about him. I hope he dies. <laughs> I hope he croaks. And that's the issue that I see with black conservatives and, and for Martin, you know, the black fool. Which lead me to this next question. Why do why do they all do they even realize that they're arming a white supremacist agenda? Do they realize that or, or is just for play and they're just doing it for the bag? 
I'm gonna lead it off with you, um, B. Johnson. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with the latter, because like to go back to the whole house house Negro feel Negro mentality. The house Negro would look outside on the hottest day, on terrible weather conditions, and see his brethren out there suffering, and think to himself. I might be getting slapped around in this house. I might be getting, I might have objects thrown at me. I might have to actually pick up human weights. But I ain't got to be out there sweating hard like that. Mm. No, they, they out there eat, like, like, at least all the food, I, at least the food I eat, I know is clean and I know is cooked. Why? Because I had to cook it. No. Mm. Them, them, them Negroes out there, they suffering worse than I am. Just because I don't have to be outside. It's just, it's the little thing. It, it takes me back to a, a picture that I saw. It's of an elephant next to his chain. The chain is only about, I give six feet. And he's just on the outside of that chain. They let him walk all the way he can and took the chain off. But the elephant refused to move. And they was like, he only moved up just a little bit. And they was like, wow, well, when you've been chained up to a, or chained to a situation like that for so long, and you get a chance of a little bit of freedom, you're not going to go balls out. You're going to go just a little bit above where your older comfort level was because you're scared of what is ahead of you. And that's that house Negro mentality. They're scared to get go out there in the front, go out there beyond. So they feel like right, I'm doing better than I'm in front of somebody. So because somebody's behind me, I'm doing better than them. Even if it's just by a little bit, I'm doing better than somebody else. So I, I'll put up with what I got to do and I'll shuck a job if it means I don't have to be out here breaking my back. All right. All right, teach you. Okay. Um, what was the question? <laughs> the, the question is. The question was um, for the black conservatives that's pushing this black on black crime agenda. Do they realize that they are basically pushing a white supremacist agenda or they just basically it's an act and they're doing it all for the money? Well, it, it's sort of kind of all of it. I, I think that um, in the vein of assimilation, in the vein of being accepted, in the vein of making it, they don't see it as uh, white supremacy. So white supremacy is really not in the forefront of their mind. They just see it as a way to fit in and really to have free and liberal views and to set themselves apart from the others. Um, you, you have the individual that just does not like to associate uh, with, with quote-unquote the masses or the ghetto blacks. They like when they come in the company of 
uh, whites and they say, oh, you're not like um, other blacks. They love that saying. They love that saying about their character. And so for them, it's about being accepted. It's about uh, whitewashing their blackness. So they may not even see white supremacy. They just see they're following the money most times, or they're following the status, or they're following the prestige that they they individually (laughs) individually see it in. You know, people need to stop calling her name because we know something about name calling. You know, when you call a person's name, you keep them alive. Stop calling her name. Just refer to her as that person. Everybody knows who you're talking about. So you don't have to cough it out. (laughs) I beg to differ on that. Let me jump in here. Just like Roland Martin said on his segment, uh, the reason why he calls each and every individual name out is because on his segment, he has a large platform and the algorithm, when he says her name or is plugged into his segment, when you look up her name, you're going to see his name and he can counter everything that she says or he says or whoever says. So that's one of the reasons why I don't shy away from calling her name is because, you know, when people know who you're talking about, it makes them aware and we can further put our uh, agenda out there to counteract what she's saying and he's saying or whoever that's saying something negative. I, I can see that in Roland Martin's um, perspective because he's looking for numbers too. So if calling her name gets his name out there, then so be it. But for a smaller format like this, I mean, I mean it could work too. But me, myself, I don't have to call her name. <laughs> I don't. Okay, yeah, but I'm saying it's like some people may not know who we're talking about though on this platform, and and so when we educate people on who and, they and are, th- you know, we have to we have to let our folk know who to be aware of. You have to let them know who the enemy is. You you, you got to know who to fight. Well, kind of. I, I would agree with you. What I'm saying, calling calling her name popularizes her, and, and I'm saying. Her position is insignificant and it does not need to be um, put on the big screen. And calling her name puts her on the big screen where she does not need to be. Now, I will agree with Teach. It does put her name on the big screen. But the reason why I agree with Bragg and Martin is when you have individuals like her, if you close your eyes and you can't see Candace Owens' face and you're just listening to her, you would assume she's one of the white Fox uh, conservative correspondents. You might assume that she's Tammy Lauren or one of the other ones because after a while, just just like with rap, after a while, everybody starts to sound the same. Mm -hmm. So that, that old boy or that's her it becomes too vague of an interpretation. So yes, we when you start spouting out the same rhetoric as racially white counterpoints, and you start to sound like the other race, quote unquote. If I can't, if I close my eyes and can't really tell who you are by listening to you, and I and my inner mind says that sounds like a white woman, 
then we then we as black people going back to control that narrative, yes, we have to single you out. We're not talking about the white people out here saying we're talking about you, Miss Owens, married to one of the Guinness boys. We're talking about you. So mm-hmm. th- this this is not and we have to clarify as well. We're not praising you, but we're speaking on the ignorance that you're saying, and this is why we're saying this ignorant, and these are our counterpoints. And Miss Owens, to agree with Mr. Brace, if you feel some kind of way about that, please come to the show and engage us in open dialogue. Mm-hmm. And one thing, all of us, including our audience, because we haven't forgot about you, we can mm-hmm. all agree that Coonery does not have a retirement plan. So for anybody who's probably looking up to these individuals, uh, good luck with that. Your career is only as good as the flash in the pan, and you know a flash in the pan don't last that long. So, I mean, not only just her, I can name a few that's probably on this roller coaster. Right now it's going up. It's going up. But eventually they're going to say the wrong thing. Either one or two things going to happen. They're going to say the wrong thing where they realize they've been doing, it's been wrong. Or two, they go into the next and hottest thing. On to the next one. And it, it happens all the time. What's that? I, I add number three to it. They're going to say the wrong lie with the wrong amount of truth. Because I had I, I spoke to a, a black co-worker of mine, and it disheartened me when he said, man, you know, Candace Owens, no, I see why people like because she is saying a lot of truth. And I told him, every great lie has to have a kernel of truth to sustain. Mm-hmm. Yes, black people kill black people, but that's true from that context, from that narrow-minded perception. Just as many white on white, Persian on Persian, into your ethnicity or your nationality versus that. It goes on. That's human nature. Like I that's said, not I, a racial thing. That's human nature. So, yeah, I, I just think you know it's it's not that they yeah some things they say may be factual or not, but it's like have a be honest and tech and uh, honest enough to you know tell the other the side truth. you know tell the whole truth. You know, mm-hmm. someone once told me a half truth is a whole lie. So you know, I be agree. willing to tell the whole truth on both sides. Don't just uh, pick out the black, you know, the wrong in the black community, pick out the wrong in the white community, pick out wrong in the White House, you know, what's going on in that administration. Don't be so quick to blame President Obama uh, for everything, you know, be willing to tell the whole story. And that's my only thing, you know, we we have to tell the whole story and and and, and those personnel who, who wish, you know, I think they just sold themselves to the devil, you know, they, they doing it for the dollar. They doing it for the dollar, you know. I, I don't. Some of these people, even the, the uh, I don't even remember his name, but he's out there at uh, he's he's from Cleveland, Ohio, but he's a pastor and he's always in the White House, you know, sitting up there. <laughs> I know you're talking. I know you're talking, talking about. about. I, I, know, I don't know his name, but I know you're talking about. So, you know, my wife's people. You know, they from Cleveland. You know, and they know this guy. You know, and he, they they know he he's full of it. You know. Mm-hmm. No, known crackhead back in the day, you know. So we can't forget oh, where we come from. You know, we gotta remember where we're trying to go. And this in our own black people is not gonna 
help us get where we need to be as a people. To add on to what y'all was saying about they add they they start to say facts which lead to their lives. That's not but a sales pitch. Think about exactly. it. What what does a salesman always do first? It's a beautiful day outside. Who's your favorite? Oh, Detroit. I love the Detroit Lions. You know, I I love them. You already got me in the house. You already having tea. And then all of a sudden, like, hey, what you got in your hand? Oh, this. Oh, this is not a brochure for, you know, new time shares and all that stuff. I know a couple of the, you know, people that are Detroit Lions fans, they really love this. And if you and if you act now, I can give you the discount, you know, take 20 percent off. That's them. I've had to learn that sales pitch. I will agree. It's yeah. exactly how it goes down. And I actually had, I think I said this on the show, show last time, I actually had a white counterpart. We literally, he was like, Candace Owens is saying a lot of truth. And I wish my hand to the sky, honestly, like I said, if Teach was there, she probably would have kicked the chair from under me and be like, you should have asked that question. I should have told him to his face, rather than saying that, which was true, that you just saying that because it makes you comfortable. That's why you like her so much, because she's not really gearing the question. Well, not question, but the, the motivation behind the question towards you. It's toward people like me and that looks like her. That's why you would jump on that bandwagon and be like, oh, she's, you know, what she's saying is the truth. I think Bobby said, but, if everybody was just like her, every, this world would be great. If, if more people, I'm not trying to make it racial, but more black women or, or black men was more like you, everything, you know, we wouldn't have these troubles. There wouldn't be no ghetto. We wouldn't right. be making everything a place. So, so what? What are they really saying about us when they make those statements, though? When they when they say those people uh, really know how to say it, they they speak the truth. They 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 know what they're talking about. So, what uh, are they saying about the rest of us? You know, I tell you, you what they saying. They're saying right. that you should deny yourself. You should not love yourself. You should not fight for yourself. You should not act. Of- um, advocate for yourself. Just give of yourself. Give into um, into the other people. And if you give into the other people and assimilate and take on their thoughts, patterns, and ideas, you'll just have a better life. Don't right. be you. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. it's misperceived perception. Cause yeah. I I, and, I get that all the time. I is I I love different type of music. You know, going back to Brad said, with me having dreads and looking the way I do, mm-hmm. the average person assumes that all I listen to is quote unquote black music, hip hop, trap music, gangster rap. No, they're always surprised when I pull out some John Denver or some Conway Twitty. You know, throw out a little Pantera out there. Might, you know, smooth it out, get a little Aerosmith. I love all music, and my phone stays on shuffle. So mm-hmm. you may hear Gucci Mane, and then it goes right into Sailing, chasing you away. <laughs> you just never know with my phone. You never know. And I get, I've heard that statement, like, you're not like other white. Like, I tell them, I'm the whitest black guy you've ever met, huh? 
yeah, you, yeah, but no, I'm not. You be, how can I, like, me, why? Because I listen to, I listen to rock music. You forgot all music was started by black people. So how can I be white for listening yeah. to something that I, I created? It's funny you, you, funny you bring that up is because I was actually talking to my, uh, my OIC yesterday. And he just randomly said, we were just talking about music. He was like, he said it's sad that people don't know the actual history of music. And I was like, what you mean by that, sir? Because we were just talking about Lil Richard and, and how I said that I'm still not over James Brown passing away. And he was like, people just don't get the history of music that it all came from black people. I was like, I'm like, mm-hmm. sir, really? White uh, dude, he's from Chicago. And he said that. He's like, yeah, man. He said, yeah. He said, yeah, I dabble in history. He said, people need to understand that majority of the stuff that we have now comes from black people. And we need to start, you know, giving that credit out to them. And I'm like, damn. But to uh, but to going back to what you were saying, uh, Beast Johnson, it also spills out music too. It, it spills oh. out in music. Ugh. Actually, it goes. It, it truthfully, it goes back to art. Because one of my first thoughts of racism was being in like the first or second grade, where you're just doing art class, you're just drawing, throwing colors mm-hmm. together, and I just they were and the teacher was talking about how white is pure because it's all the colors put together. And I was like, I was just drawing and I noticed how I took the white crayon and I just started adding all the colors together and then adding white on top of it. And notice how it was getting lighter and lighter and to the point where it completely blended in with the white paper versus adding black and all the colors together. It gets darker and darker and darker until you have essentially black if you add all the colors together. And I asked him, I was like, wouldn't black be considered pure? Because if you're saying that pure is all the colors put together, that's black. Because that if I add all the colors together, I'll get black before I get white. And as a white teacher, hand to God, she looked at me and she said, you're right. Pure mm-hmm. does not mean, white does not mean pure. Yeah. You are right. They told the whole mm-hmm. class that, like, Alex is right. Like, I want y'all to want y'all to see what he said. He's he's be he's that threw me off. Mm-hmm. And then to see yeah. that play out in the world, you know, you you're predetermined as a child. Lighter colors are happier colors. You use yellows and greens and bright greens for mm-hmm. bright days. You use darks and for for moodier things. And then you see those same colors represented in the world. Yellow. I hate to be right. Yellow's racist. No, yellow's Chinese or white is white. And you see how these colors are translated into a race. It just brings that stereotype even further, further down. You see how lighter races are perceived better and get treated better versus the darker races, which people always come uh, approach with a certain mood or uneasiness with and you see that portrayed throughout all the history and all facets all right i want to do a quick sound check real quick can everybody hear everybody can everybody hear me first first of all yes yeah i'm good can hear you all right. 
right. I see that. Um, I see that Martin. He's he still tried to uh, come in and all that stuff. But first of all, I I like to thank Martin for actually coming in on the show. Um, he's going through some technical difficulties, so hopefully that he will come on the show. I'm hopefully he comes on the show and gets everything situated on his end, but. I will invite him to come on the show. And also, ladies and gentlemen, let him be an example for each and every one of you. If you have somebody or if you want to come on the show and let's have these, um, not even have these talks, but getting these dialogues. And because we all not going to be, we won't see eye to eye on things, but I promise you this. After this show, you will be looking in the right direction. Just because you're on a different street does not mean we're not going the same direction. I just want to put that out there to um, each and every one of y'all. But now I want to lead on to this, and this is going to be the uh, final segment before um, the final thought. For these... um, Okay, so how can I put this without being too rude? Like that old saying goes, they're not all going to come with us. And I believe that. Are these folks too far gone in their own agenda, or can they get saved? Should we just leave them be and just be like, hey, if you think they want you, go on ahead. But when they all come falling down, don't come back here. Or will you invite them back? Like, you know what? You're a brother. You're a sister. Let's come back in. Flow is up for I'm gonna take it from. I'm gonna use my answer from a personal approach. Um, I've had dealing with family members, especially after death, and certain family members I don't deal with, uh, but I still love. I know they got their own agendas. I know they feel some kind of way about me, and our connection or our interactions is not gonna be there. And I always tell folks, my helpful hand is always there. I'm not gonna chase you. But I'm always going to leave my helpful hand there. All you got to do is reach out. I don't care if I'm two minutes away or 2,000 yards away. If you need my help, I'm there. But I'm not going to sit here and wait on you to acknowledge that you need that help. Mm. We need to take that method when it comes to those others. If you want the help, if you really want to get in line with us, then cool. If you want to go, if you want to get to the bag, so to speak, and say and say and do what you need to to get to the bag, do what you got to do. But own up to who you are and what you really about, so we all can move forward. When you want that help, brother, sister, we're here to help you. But until then, you worry about your mess, and we're gonna be over here worrying about what we really need to worry about. You can worry about the bag. We're gonna worry about living and living equal. When you ready to live equal with us, doors open, hands there. Just reach out. Gotcha. Go ahead, teach. Okay, I would like to say that, um, first of all, we are a diverse people. And we come from various backgrounds, and we have various outlooks on life. And no one person has the one right way to live. And so we also know that people learn at their own pace. 
So what you learned yesterday, they may not learn for 10 years from now. And the thing is, is when that knowledge comes, just thank you and amen. <laughs> That's it. Um, because everybody have a different life purpose. Some people will live out their life purpose and some people won't. They'll be cut down before a purpose can be served. But the thing is, is that um, we're all in this world together. And the best thing we can do as an individual is live our best. And as you live your best, people will look to you and say, well, hey, how can I live my best? And they will reach out and ask you. So we have to stay away from judging or condemning um, and allow a person to learn their own life lessons. Mm. Got anything, Bright? Yeah, um, I, I don't. I think they're too far gone. I think the more money they make off the evil dollar, um, they're gonna get greedier and gonna go farther into their. Um, they're gonna go farther into their. Um, what I'm trying to say, the, they're gonna keep pushing their agenda. Mm -hmm. So, I, I just think that they're too far gone right now, and they're. We're we're not going to be able to fix them or or reach them. We're not trying to fix nobody, but trying to reach them to see reality. Um, but I think they're just too far gone. They, they they want more money. They're going to want more money, and the more money the Republicans push to them, they're going to keep pushing that agenda. Thank y'all for that. We have hit the final segment. First of all, thank y'all once again for being on the show and like to thank everybody for tuning in. Thank you so very much. This right here, ladies and gentlemen, is what a show is supposed to be. We got we got no agendas to push. We're not paid by no big conglomerates. And we're not here to just get likes and try to go viral. This is actual truth that you ain't going to get nowhere else. We encourage people to be a part of the show. We encourage people to join the show. We got a teacher. We got a two service members. And we got a, a mogul, music mogul. Yes, I called you a mogul, Beast Johnson. Don't even take that back. Beast mogul. Oh, I mean, hey, he's, hey, he's a mogul. Hey, I'm a claim. Hey, I'm claiming. <laughs> How we doing? I'm claiming. I'm a claim. <laughs> we all come from different walks of life. And we are bringing you into our world, not our own personal world, but our world as black people. This is us. Is. I'm not trying to. I'm, I'm not trying to take away from the show. I, I think it's on NBC, ABC, whatever. But this is us. If it was an actual real show like that, this would be it right here. You ain't gonna get nowhere else, anywhere. <clears throat> here but now we're here for the final thought and teach you got the floor all right i'm going to read this poem um it is called dear america when we served you as slaves you abused us starved us sold us and called us lazy you treated us inappropriately 
When we ran away, you came and captured us, cutting off life and limb, you treated us inappropriately. When we were emancipated, you put on sheets and raided our homes, raped us, lynched us, you treated us inappropriately. When we were separated, when we separated ourselves, grew and became our own thriving communities of Tulsa, Rosewood, Mound Bayou, Colfax, and Atlanta. As a nation, you sanctioned the bombing of our communities, the burning of our homes and businesses, the brutalizing of our men and blocking us on every turn. You treated us inappropriately. When we sat down, you, when we sat down, you told us no, demanded us to stand up by dragging us off the buses, off the streets and out of our homes. You treated us inappropriately. When we marched peacefully, unarmed, and sent out the National Guard, the fire hoses, and the dogs, you bombed our churches and assassinated our leaders. You treated us inappropriately. When we wore dashikis, afros, and our natural hair, you fired us, derided us, and called us names for not emulating your standards of beauty. You treated us inappropriately. When we kneeled, you didn't address the issue. You simply rewrote the narrative, called us unpatriotic, and demanded we stand. You treated us inappropriately. With each demonstration against your racism and malfeasance, you have labeled our actions inappropriate. But in all the years of our rebelling, fighting, and protesting, you have never once acknowledged or changed your inappropriate behavior. Now here we are again. You kill us and then think you have the right to tell us how to respond to the pain. After doing everything possible to be free, even a trapped animal will chew off its foot to save its life. And not a single animal who understands will call it inappropriate. So in final desperation, we protest, loot, and burn down the village to be freed from your racist abuse. And your response is to call out the military, not to protect us or our community, but to protect your racism from our inappropriateness and responding to it. Please know this, until you appropriately surrender and give up your racism and racist behaviors, we will continue to protest being appropriately inappropriate. The Inappropriate Manifest by Dr. Carolyn L. Gordon. Thank you so much, Teach. Beast Johnson, you're up. Um, my final thoughts would be, as we're talking, I'm reminded of the quote-unquote national Negro anthem. Yes, we might have wrote that anthem for us, but today those words ring true to everybody. Lift every voice and sing. Till earth and heaven ring with the harmonies of liberty. We must let our rejoicing rise as high as the listening skies. We need to go to this song and analyze these words and see that the pain and suffering 
that established these words are still ring true today and must use this song as a beacon of hope and a beacon of light and focus. You got just as many other races out here protesting in unison and in unity, and I love it. But we must remember this is not just about black folk. This is about all people because as long as they feel like they can kill us, don't think they won't mess with the other races after the fact. Don't think just because you're not black, you won't catch it too. Because if they get rid of all of us, you're next in line. So let's just be completely clear about that. For all you people that think, well, they won't come after me because I'm non-black. No, you just won't get hit now. But the same hell that we're going through will continue to happen to everyone else as long as we continue to be silent about it. So let's keep these voices lifted. Let's keep these voices ringing in unison. And let's keep this protest and keep this thing going. No more talking. We done talking. Let's keep moving. Let's keep acting. Let's keep advancing. And that's my point. Yeah. Thank you, Beast Johnson. And last but not least, the host. <laughs> well, before the host, uh, um, just want to say, just everybody just need to learn how to respect each other. If if we love, we wouldn't have these issues. Of course, we know everybody don't love each other like that, but we have to learn and respect each other. I might, I don't know if I told the story or not, but uh, just a real quick story. My neighbor is a um, retired sheriff's deputy, lieutenant sheriff's deputy, and um, him and I, you know, he he's from the south, older white guy, you know, from the south. That's all he knows is the south. I'm from Flint, Michigan, up north. You know, we we couldn't come far, you know, we far and wide apart from each other, very vast differences, but. We respect one another and we love each other and we talk and we walk, you know, in the mornings we go walking together and things and and we have conversations. And so it's not hard to do. Love a person, uh, get to know one another, have those uncomfortable conversations with each other and um, and just go from there. You can only do so much as an individual, but together we can do a whole lot. Love you all. Stay strong. There you go, Brad. Thank you so much. And now it's my turn. Let me go ahead and sit up straight, y'all. I apologize. I'm actually in the corner, as y'all can see. But um, my final thought is this. Do something. You know, every time you hear do something, people may think that you're lazy. I'm not doing that. I mean, it's all in inspiration. Definitely with what's going on right now. I know a lot of y'all may not be able to go out into the protest or at least be heard to at least show that you're supporting and what's going on. Do like this. Go online. Go beyond the call of duty to let people know that you're actually doing something. 
I'm going to tell you, and see, says Brad got on stories. Let me tell you this quick story that happened to me yesterday. I actually talked to a, um, I talked to a female sergeant. She was a higher rank than me. And I just asked her a simple question. I was like, as a black woman, how do you feel society treats you? And I was going to use this as notes for the show. She literally said, I don't want to jeopardize this. She was in uniform. She said, I don't want to jeopardize this. I don't want to talk about it. After I'm retired, we could talk about all day, but I don't want to talk about it. I was like, yeah, sure. I said, I get it. You know, I said, we're not, I said, I just want to know as a black woman, she was like, I don't want to talk about it. So I didn't press her anymore. I was like, you know what? Fine. I said, I got it. I understand what your position is. On face value, I would have got mad. I would have been like, you're in, I'm talking about a black woman. I'm not talking about a black woman in the army. I'm just talking about you as a black woman in general. But then I understood. And then also what Mr. Martin also said in the show, like people don't have to be up front saying that I'm supporting. I could be behind the scenes or I could be that one person that's actually paying for all the people's bail or the money that's actually funding the Black Lives Matter movement or other movements that's doing the same exact thing. So all I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't like what's going on right now in the world, sitting down complaining ain't going to cut it. You got to do something. You got to get out your comfort zone. Every time I do this show, and I know when I got my uh, my host up on here, they always out there comfort zone. But guess what? They're doing something to create tr- change. And it may start small. I mean, little. At the bottom. But guess what? Every house, every time you build a house, you got to start from where? The bottom. And you got to build on that foundation. And from there, all you got to go is up. And you don't have to tell everybody your moves. You don't have to tell them what you're doing, what's next on the menu or whatever. You don't have to do all that. Sometimes you can move in silence. And I don't blame people who want to tell people that I'm actually doing something. But at least you're doing something. Don't hide behind posts. That's one of the biggest reasons I did this show. If somebody disagrees with my post, bring it on the show. I'm going to bring all my energy on the show. I'm going to let you look in my eyes, hear from the horse's mouth of what I got to say. I may reply one or two comments, but I'm going to bring all my energy on here. That's what you call controlling the narrative. And that's what this show is all about. But also for you, when you actually do something to create change, control the narrative. Because once you control the narrative, nobody can take it away and run with it. Because they all know where the origins and where it came from. It came from you. But that nucleus where it all got started is because you chose to do something. And I'm going to bring everybody again. Once again, thank y'all once once again for tuning in. We finally did a Friday show. 
So that's great. And give myself a round of applause. Oh, y'all, everybody, a round of applause. Any other buys before we head on out? Appreciate everybody coming on. Appreciate everybody viewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brad, I appreciate um, those that continuously return. Um, we thank you. We thank you mm-hmm. tremendously. Yeah. Thank you to all my folks that I shared on Facebook and they came on. So we appreciate you. They came out in full effect. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Thank yes, you. yes, yes. <laughs> um, don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell, tell everybody to tune into the show. Yes, there is a show on here that is informative with people that look like you. And even we got people of different ethnicity that's watching this show. We thank you for tuning in. Dan, wink, wink. Thank you for tuning in and actually sitting back and listening and understanding from our point of view. If you want to be on the show, just let me know. Also, tell your tell your friends and family. Um, tell your wife and her friends. Tune in to the show. This this is not even informative. This is something that needs to happen, and we're the first ones to kick in that door. And we're here, and you're gonna hear it. No chaser. Not even sugarcoating it. We right here control the narrative. Once again, for myself, Donella Martin-Morris, for Alan Bragg, for Beast Johnson, for Anita Joe, a.k.a. Teach. Thank y'all for tuning in. We will be back on Monday. Are y'all good for Monday? Monday? Yes. I'm good. Monday's good. And then also, um, real quick news before I go, kudos to NASCAR. I know Brad brought it up last show. Kudos. They banned the Confederate flag. No more. As me being a NASCAR fan, happy to see it. Bubba, if, if, he, if you watch the show, no. Bubba, <laughs> Bubba Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Shouts out to the uh, y'all gonna hate me. This shouts out to the uh, to the white to the white Italian last name NASCAR uh, driver that said he's gonna retire due to this action. Yes, I love white people. I have. I always tell people I respect you more if you tell me to my face or you show me physically what that you don't like me. I'll actually like be nicer to you. Like, I I, lo- I love my enemies. I will smile dead in your face knowing you you think I ain't shit. I don't care. <laughs> so like seeing that was like you know what I got a lot of respect for him. Thank you for publicly letting the world know that you're a racist piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So big shout out to NASCAR, long time coming, and then, and then also Roger Goodell, he finally admit that yeah, we knew you was wrong the whole entire time, and you finally get called out. But right now, I just wanted to bring that up, Bubba Wise Jr. If you're watching this, thank you. Black Keep drives, it up, bro. yeah, black drives before you, definitely. If I can, Wendell Scott from Danville, Virginia. He will be smiling down right now for you doing that. The very first black driver and also, at the time, the only one to win a race. So thank you so very much. But we got to go. See y'all on Monday. It's been real. Y'all have a good one. Have a good weekend. And Arnie, have a birthday. Love y'all. All All right. Bye. Be blessed. Stay safe.